I'm Ian Rodwell and welcome to the Linklater's Ideas Foundry, where we talk about and try to unpick the art of working together in the 21st century organisation. From creativity to collaboration, from leading others to looking after ourselves, we explore the skills and the tricks required to thrive in an ever more complex and changeable work environment. So my guest in the Ideas Foundry today is Wenying Li. Growing up in Singapore, Wen Ying studied in the States before becoming a successful Wall Street lawyer. Moving to the UK, she followed an interest in training and development and is now a learning specialist and executive coach here at Linklaters. So who better to chat to about the challenges and rewards of working among different cultures? We'll look at why cross-cultural competence is important, how it can help you in your career, explore some of the research on cultural dimensions and you leave you with a key idea to take away. So Wen Ying, welcome to the Ideas Foundry. Thanks Ian, it's great to be here today. Thank you. So um, let's start at the beginning. Uh, how would you describe uh, cross-cultural competence and uh, why did you become interested in it? So for me, the first level I see is cultural awareness, just being aware that there are different cultures and that might influence some things. And maybe you know a little bit about some differences between cultures you work the most with. I think the level above cultural awareness is cultural knowledge, where you actually go and um, proactively research certain cultures because you're going to be working more with them or you don't know enough about them, etc. I see cultural competence as the ultimate, putting it all together uh, and becoming very adapt and skilled at flexing um, two different cultures and knowing how to flex in which direction, uh, but also how to explain your own culture in relation to others so that other people can understand where you're coming from. Okay, so it's like a a three-stage process. So we're going from the awareness, and we're going to the knowledge, and then we're going to the the competence. And in our world, you know, in the in the professional business world, um, why why should we pay attention to this? What are the what are the, the key the key benefits or reasons we should we should do this? So I have a particular passion for everyone to be culturally competent. I think it generally it promotes empathy and understanding. And I think empathy is so key in the professional world and particularly to be an effective leader. So any aspect um, that will help develop people's empathy is a great thing. And, and you know, a lot of um, organizations and society, we talk about diversity and inclusion and cultural competence, I would say, is a huge aspect of diversity and inclusion. That said... Um, I wouldn't elevate um, cultural competence to sort of be the be all and end mm. all. Um, we we run a workshop where we have some scenarios of cultural competence for people to identify. Uh, and there was one time an audience member said to me, "Well, Wen Ying, maybe they're not." Um, 
uh, you know, maybe this is, isn't a cultural clash. Maybe these two individuals are just incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's important to realize cultural differences don't explain every single thing. Sometimes people are just incompetent. Um, but they do, they can explain quite a lot and they can help you get closer to understanding someone else, another team, etc. So that's that's really interesting, Wenying, because um, what we're seeing here it, it's part of that that mix that we should be aware of as sort of empathetic um, uh, managers, leaders, uh, and colleagues. So it's it, it's there with a whole range of other things that we should be picking up, being conscious of, um, and seeing. So that's interesting, um, and. I've heard you talking about uh, cultural spectacles. Uh, can you can you say a little bit more about cultural spectacles? So, with that in mind, cultural spectacles are very difficult for us to take off. What we have to do is be aware that they are there and that they impact how we see others. So it's it's factual, it's, it's not good or bad. They're there, they're essential for us to function because human beings, our brains uh, absorb so much data all the time. It, our brain has to process the data quickly and it does that by putting things in categories. And these categories are generalizations and and all these generalizations as a whole make up our cultural spectacles um, so some categorization some generalizations is just necessary and normal for our brain to function um, so that is in a roundabout way <laughs> what cultural spectacles are about yeah, it's it's trying. I guess it's trying to extricate ourselves, isn't it, from what we just don't see because we've been immersed in it for since an early age. There's that um, kind of rather uh, kind of apocryphal uh, joke about the the fish. So there's two young fish fl- sort of swimming by, and there's an older fish, and I think he goes, "Is it something like the the, the older fish says um, water's nice today, and the two younger fish go, what's water?" Um, <laughs> that's that's it exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you were talking there, so picking this stuff up about generalizations, and I guess there is one thing that we should address because I know it's been mentioned when we've run t- uh, sessions together on this, is 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 this approach, can, can it be viewed as sort of stereotype, stereotyping or being sort of overly deterministic? You know, you are from that culture, therefore you will behave in this particular way every every time and so what we're doing is we're narrowing down you know how we see people i think that definitely is a danger and that actually is something we flag at the start of every session we do about cultural competence all of us have to be careful about our generalizations turning into stereotypes and our generalizations turn into stereotypes if we hold on to them and don't change them even when we receive data to the contrary. So as I said, having generalizations is just normal for a human being. It's how our brain functions. However, let's say 
you know, let's say um, we take uh, the generalization that you might have learned um, that Germans tend to be very straightforward and you take that into a negotiation with a German team. And when you meet that team, you find out actually um, that, you know, None of them have spent any time, much time in Germany because they're from everywhere or that even though they are Germans, they tend to be um, less straightforward than you even are. Um, and, and so you need to adjust the generalization you walked into the room with. If you don't adjust it, that's when it becomes a stereotype and that's when it becomes harmful. Stereotypes are um, opinions that we keep um, with judgment and um, without any flexibility, even though we receive, um, we have observed something to the contrary. And that goes back, isn't it, to, to, to what we were discussing at the, at the beginning, which is, yeah, yeah, as a, yeah, if you're empathetic, you need to be alive to the person that is, that is in front of you and react to the person that is in front of you. Okay, so one of the key works in this field is the culture map by Erin by Mayer at, at INSEAD. And when you get it, it'd be good to know a bit more about the research that's based on and also something about the various uh, cultural dimensions that she, that she talks about. Sure, Ian. Um, there are eight uh, dimensions uh, she talks about. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna start with um, not her first, but the one I think is um, is one where everyone at one point or another will have thought about, and and maybe if you're if you know if you're not very culturally skilled, still wonder is this a difference between cultures, and that first one is scheduling. Uh, that's the idea that there are certain cultures that are linear time cultures, i.e. they really um, value punctuality and promptness and sticking to schedule and approaching steps sequentially, whereas there are cultures that are flexi-time cultures. Um, punctuality is not particularly valued. Interruptions are accepted, even welcomed. It's all about being flexible and, and fluid. And I'm sure everyone out there has experienced that sort of clash uh, at one point or another. Uh, so that's one dimension. Uh, the second dimension is one we've already mentioned um, about uh, actually, the second and third dimensions are ones we've already mentioned. One about communication. There are some cultures that are direct and other cultures that are indirect. Um, the third one about evaluating. There are some cultures that prefer direct negative feedback. There are others that prefer indirect negative feedback. Um, the fourth dimension is a little bit more complicated. It's all about persuasion. Um, and this is the idea that there are some cultures um, that uh, put principles first. And the easy way to think of these cultures for me is that they are the why cultures. And then there are some cultures that um, put applications first. And I think of them as, as the how cultures. So in the why cultures, 
individuals are trained at school, in tertiary education, to first develop their theory or complex concept before presenting their fact, statement, or opinion. Whereas in how cultures, individuals are educated and trained to begin with the fact, statement, or opinion, and later add concepts to back up or explain the conclusion as necessary. So this one, I think, is is quite profound, um, but it always makes people makes a light bulb go off in people when they they hear about it and. And for certain people, it can really explain some clashes uh, they've had. The another layer to this dimension is that the why and how divide applies to Western cultures. Asian cultures tend to have very holistic, big picture thought patterns rather than specific why and how uh, thought patterns. Um, so it. You know, this entire chapter in the book is, is really interesting um, to read about. Uh, the next dimension is all about leadership. So there are some cultures that are much more egalitarian, and there are some cultures that are much more hierarchical, and that's exactly what it says on the tin. So, so this one's quite, um, quite straightforward. The dimension after that is about decision-making. There are cultures that prefer consensual decision-making and there are cultures that prefer a more top-down style of decision-making. Now, this particular dimension interacts with the leadership dimension um, I just mentioned. And this is another one of the interesting nuances um, Aaron Mayer has discovered. Because previously we would have assumed that if you're from an egalitarian culture, of course you would prefer consensual decision-making. And if you are from a hierarchical culture, of course you would prefer a top-down um, decision-making process. Um, but research has shown that's actually not the case. So this is really eye-opening. And then finally, uh, to wrap up, um, the penultimate dimension is about trust. There are some cultures that are much more about task-based trust, so cognitive trust, trust that comes from the brain, trust that is logical. I trust you because you've always delivered on time, uh, because you've always met the deadlines, etc. Whereas there are some cultures that rely more on relationship-based trust or effective trust. Trust that comes from the heart. Trust that is not logical. Trust that says, I trust you because I like your face, because you smiled at me, because we have a lot in common to talk about outside work. So that trust dimension um, is very interesting. Uh, and the final one I'm going to mention today is disagreeing, the dimension of disagreeing. There are cultures that are confrontational, and there are cultures that prefer to avoid confrontation. And this is another fairly straightforward one. Um, and, and it's, you know, you get what it says on the tin. I think it's a, a very, um, it's an excellent summary of, 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 of the dimensions that Erin that Mayer describes. And, and I think what we get now is you can see the, the, the rich sort of picture that you can develop around, around cultures.
Um, I guess one thing to to point out is that it, it's not to assume that this is a binary distinction, you know, that you are, you know, it is kind of direct negative feedback or indirect negative feedback. But what she does is she maps cultures along a continuum, so, it, so it's all relative. And just going back to what we were saying earlier around stereotyping that what she takes is the is the average response so you're always going to get to get outliers but yeah as you can see you know it is a a rich set of dimensions that she's drawn up there so thank you for that now i alluded at the beginning to your rich uh, international career um so i'm intrigued to some of the differences that you've noticed you're in singapore you moved to the states you've moved to the uk you know, you work with a number of different uh different groups around the world and uh, yeah can you think you know can you remember a time when you were maybe surprised or amused by anything that that you witnessed that kind of made you made, made you aware of that sort of that that cross-cultural difference uh well Ian I do have a number of examples um what I'm thinking of at the moment is that they don't align exactly with um the differences <laughs> uh, and the spectrums um Aaron Meyer has has come up with uh but maybe I'll I'll, I'll share one or two of them um one is um the fact that in Singapore um uh you you might say the culture tends to be um a little bit more introverted maybe people tend to think carefully before they volunteer information um they won't uh speak up if they they think there's a chance uh something is incorrect and to move from Singapore to um, New York, and um, people who are familiar with America might say that each state has its mm. own culture. Uh, but to move from Singapore to New York and encounter um, a situation where people would say the first thing that came into their heads and would, wouldn't... Um, be too worried if they were wrong or were even called out mm -hmm. as being wrong was a big eye-opener for me um to the extent that you know after just a year in new york and i went back home my parents were like you're very different <laughs> and that's and that's interesting wendy so was that was that sort of like change was that something that you you were consciously aware that you were doing, that you were adapting, or was it like you were just, without knowing it, um, like the fish, kind of getting used to a new, <laughs> a new bowl of water? Um, I think it was a little bit of both, actually. It was um, perhaps initially unconscious, uh, and then realizing I was doing it, and then doing it a little bit more. <laughs> and and so that kind of drawing on that. Again, on that sort of um, international experiences, now, how would you say, you know, moving up from cultural awareness to cultural knowledge to cultural competence, that has helped you in your career and in your work? I think it comes back to it's helped me increase my empathy, um, and and for me that that is um, an aspect I, I value very highly. 
And increase in empathy means I am then able to persuade, influence, communicate more effectively with a stakeholder or a team of stakeholders. Um, so that's that's sort of the outward benefit. Uh, inwardly, for example, it's also been helpful because I might um, be less concerned or less stressed, for example, when I get a response that perhaps um, wouldn't be the response I expected from... Um, uh, so, so right now I work in London. After a while, you get used to um, the British working style or British culture. So let's say I got a response from another office that didn't fit with that uh, working style and culture I've been familiar with. Me knowing how that other culture operates helps me realize, oh, um, whatever, I I shouldn't be worried about their response sh- or even I shouldn't take offense at their <laughs> response because that's just that culture being like that culture. So it, it's helped me both internally as well as in terms of ex- me externally influencing hmm. and persuading, etc. others. Yeah, I get that. And that, that that's a nice nice example about about not taking not taking offense and it it kind of puts things it puts things into perspective it helps us to read what's going on more subtly and with more nuance than we might than we might normally do okay so so when ying um we're getting to the end now of our of our conversation um so what we'd like to do is to is to leave people with a with one takeaway something that they can do uh, after this, after this episode, uh, and put into practice. So, of all the things that people could do, you know, what would be the one action that you would advise people to do in relation to cultural competence? Um, so, we've already mentioned the book, The Culture Map, and what I would say is, um, after reading that book, look at the various spectrums. Um, and try and plot yourself. Um, and actually, Erin's got a feature on her website that allows you to do that uh, by answering some questions. But if you just wanted to go through the book and, and try and plot yourself, um, you can do that as well. And then think about the cultures you worked the most with and see where they fall on the various spectrums in relation to you. And then try and think of um, just one thing you could do. M- maybe pick a person or a team that you feel you could do a better job in communicating with, influencing, etc. And then have a look at those spectrums and think, what have I learned from this in terms of the difference between um, that other person and myself? And how could I just shift a little bit closer to them? Because I think it's important to say, um, and I've received this uh, pushback from participants, we're not saying become the other culture. Mm. uh, Because there there are going to be so many other cultures you deal with anyway. 
we're saying move a bit closer to the other culture in terms of your understanding. And hopefully the other culture um, is making strides in their cultural competence as well and will move closer to you in terms of understanding. And the closer you are, the better it is uh, for your professional relationship. Uh, so that's quite a long-winded key takeaway, Ian, but that's what I would say. I would say that it's in-depth, um, but beautifully relevant and definitely something everyone should do. Wen Ying, thank you very much uh, for joining me today. Thank you, Ian.